You're listening to Boston Needs to Know on WBCA 102.9 FM, a show highlighting local Boston news. Russian troops go home! Russian troops go home! On March 6th, over 2,000 supporters of Ukraine marched and rallied from Copley Square to the Parkman Bandstand in Boston Common. They were expressing solidarity with the people of Ukraine and were rallying to raise awareness of Ukraine's courageous fight against the Russian invasion of their country. The Russian war in Ukraine was in its 11th day and has forced one and a half million people from their homes and reportedly touched off the largest refugee crisis since World War II. While Russia continues its invasion, marchers with ties to Russia disagreed with the actions of their homeland as many have family in the country they are now at war with. Ukrainians said they fear for the lives of their loved ones as the situation in Ukraine worsens and means of communication are being cut off. The march and rally was one of the several local demonstrations in the last few weeks showing support for Ukraine. I hate Putin. He's destroying both countries, Russia and uh, Ukraine, and uh, he has to go. He's uh, he's evil, and uh, it's it's very it's shameful that he is in power for so long, and he's just threatening the entire world with his madness. I don't know how war any benefits for war. The only person who will benefit is probably Putin. No one else wants a war. A lot of people in Russia uh, right now they are against. The thing is, there is a really big censorship, and people who go out in the street and protest. They're risking life. Even today, there there were around more than 2,000 people um, arrested in Moscow just for speaking out their mind, and it's all horrible. But nothing Russians experience can even compare to the horrors that Ukrainians feel right now. I have a lot of friends right there currently, and they all hiding in the cellar. No one knows who who will be alive next day. Even though I'm an American. I'm a Ukrainian at heart. I'm a first-generation Ukrainian-American, and it's tearing me apart. I still have family in Ukraine. I don't understand what's going on uh, and why this is happening. It's just so evil. It's a genocide against our people, and I'm so happy that so many Americans uh, are supporting, and people around the whole world are supporting us. The Ukrainian people are under assault, and Putin's violence knows no limits. His army is inflicting devastating trauma on the Ukrainian people. And as long as this continues, our collective right to life and humanity will be threatened. I want to recognize the victims and the survivors of the violence, the hundreds of civilians who have been killed, and again, the over 11.5 million refugees who have fled their homes. This is a godless war, but it is not a faceless one, which is why we are all here as brothers and sisters in solidarity to wave our flags, to raise our voices, to send up prayers. The actions of of Putin is despicable. The Ukrainian people um, deserve to be treated fairly with with dignity in this war crime that 
Putin is doing in invading this country is unconscionable. The U.S. stands with the, great, the brave people of Ukraine, and we will be there with them today, tomorrow, and every day until Russia is out of Ukraine. On March 2nd, the ribbon was cut on a new food hall in downtown Boston that's been on a COVID-induced hold for the last two years. The reopening of the city of Boston coincides with the opening of the doors at High Street Place, with its diverse foods prepared by local chefs and a welcoming ambience that it hopes will bring downtown workers through its doors. This 20,000 square foot food hall is opening just as workers return to their downtown offices. The city's mandates are loosening and the chefs sharpening their cooking knives couldn't be happier. The mayor said this new food hall will play a role in the revitalization of downtown Boston and that the returning hungry downtown workers are in for a culinary treat and an overall memorable experience as they amble through the court, order chef-prepared foods, and enjoy a unique, high-quality meal at High Street Place. It's interesting because this used to be an atrium, so people walk in and they don't know what to expect, and you can see their eyes light up as they walk in. Big smiles, big eyes, and they get to see the 20 vendors that are here and all the work that's been put in to really bringing something special to downtown Boston. So we have incredible chefs, incredible vendors, so the quality of the food here is beyond what any other food hall in Boston has seen, and frankly, a lot in the country. So really specially curated, everyone chefs and vendors, so I think that's one of the things that's gonna set High Street apart from other food halls. It's important that when the workforce comes back, they have places to go, to shop at, to patronize, uh, so that they see that there are things to do down here and are encouraged to come back. It's also going to be important for, as we're working to turn our residents into tourists of their own city and to take advantage of all the amenities here. Uh, so a place like this is important, not just for the workforce, but for everyday people uh, who can now come back downtown, have a place to grab a bite or coffee uh, as they're perusing all the amenities down uh, in the area. This High Street Place Food Hall is quite special. It will represent a collection of the city's most cutting-edge chefs and entrepreneurs and a home for downtown to continue blossoming. I'm so proud and grateful that this hall will also represent a bit of the, will represent the city of Boston in all its beauty and diversity as well, with many women-owned businesses, businesses owned by entrepreneurs of color, ensuring that we are bringing our neighborhoods into downtown. And so as we cut the ribbon today on the High Street Place Food Hall, let us make sure that we continue building on that legacy of bringing each and every one of our neighborhoods into downtown, of bringing the energy downtown into each and every one of our neighborhoods, and making sure that our collective recovery leaves us stronger, more vibrant, healthier, and more connected across our entire city. On March 4th, the union representing nationwide pilots and flight attendants, along with other unions, picketed the Marriott Copley Place Hotel in Boston in support of local union laborers, painters, carpenters, and building trade workers. The hotel is engaged in anti-union activity by bringing in cheaper non-union labor from as far away as Florida and Texas and paying them wages well below the local standard for a hotel-wide renovation project. The area's airline crews laying over in Boston are a significant part of Marriott Copley Place's business. They said they will not be crossing the picket line and bringing their business to the hotel until the dispute is resolved to the satisfaction of the allied unions. 
and that they will be staying in other hotels until local unions are guaranteed the work for the project. One of the biggest problems we're facing is we have brothers and sisters, women, minorities that live in the city of Boston that are trained professionals that do the work that they're doing, and we're not getting a chance. We're getting locked out. We're getting priced out by substandard contractors that use, you know, laborers from Texas, Virginia. It's it, in this town. It shouldn't be happening. It's there's no reason for it, and shame on the Marriott for doing that. Marriott is the face of income inequality. They chose the city of Boston to come here and make money. They should have chosen to come here and partner with organizations who protect workers and protect our communities. They decided not to do that. So we're out here fighting for those standards so that every Boston resident has access to what they need and deserve, which is fair, fair treatment at work and to make sure, make sure they can make it at home. That's why we're here. That we are here joined with all of our brothers and sisters to tell Marriott enough is enough. We're fed up with the disrespect the lack of dignity and outright respect. Many of the workers are being paid sub-minimum wages from out of state coming in to do construction. These jobs should remain in Massachusetts. They want to run a first-class business, but they want to pay third-class wages. It's unacceptable. We all signed a letter to Marriott this week yes. that said that we are not going to stay in this hotel until we Fourth, Senator Ed Markey held a press conference at the ABCD headquarters in Boston to discuss an extension of the Low Income Home Energy Assistance Program. The Heating and Cooling Relief Act, sponsored by Markey and Congressman Jamal Bauman, would end energy poverty by ensuring that no family would spend more than 3% of their family budget on home energy and would provide states flexibility to weatherize up to 1 million homes per year. The legislation also provides that no eligible household can have its utilities shut off for late payments. Every household receiving funds can have its utility debt cleared and that utility companies will set up discounted payment plans to support consumers. Currently, it is estimated that only 16% of households eligible for energy assistance are being served. What the bill that Congressman Bowman and I have introduced uh, will accomplish is this. It will invest $40 billion annually to fund LIHEAP and expand the program so that more households are eligible for these life-saving funds. It will help end energy poverty for households across the country and support a just transition away from fossil fuel consumption by investing in weatherization efforts and promoting renewable energy usage. The legislation would uh, entitle Massachusetts to $1.5 billion every single year. 
to help with the totality of all of the energy-related bills that poor people are faced with in the course of a year. And it will provide funds for families uh, to help clear their utility debt, uh, which of course is a cloud uh, over uh, so many families, knowing that someone is going to be calling them to pay their back uh, electricity, gas, uh, home heating oil bills. We just have to end that. So I look forward uh, to continuing to work alongside all of you to ensure that LIHEAP receives the funding, the support uh, which it needs to protect every American family. We can end energy poverty once and for all. We can universalize uh, LIHEAP for every family who needs it. And we can ensure that every child across Massachusetts has a warm place to sleep every night of the winter. It's a combination bill which will actually be able to both heat and help with the conservation at the same time. It's going to make it broader so that heating, and by the way, air conditioning in some parts of the country is important as the heat. It'll permeate right through to so many more people than we have ability to get to now. That's important. And it will also make it easier, facilitate it to get it, the money out. But importantly, I think it's that combination of trying to get us off fossil fuel and in trying to uh, reward people who move to other sources of energy. So it's, it's a very, very well thought of bill. I hope very much the Congress takes it seriously and that next winter, because it won't happen this year, we'll have a, a different and a better way to deal with the problems that we have. So currently we have, you know, a colder than usual winter, longer winters. Um, people are struggling to pay their utility bills and therefore are either not heating their homes and they're cold or they're heating unsafely. They're trying to use other options. Um, this bill would put more money into the program, which would allow us to do outreach to identify those families, let them know that there is a program that can help them and encourage them to apply, um, as well as make more benefits available so that people can heat their homes affordably and not have to choose between food and heating their homes, medicine and feeding their homes. Um, seniors in particular are the ones we see that um, are really in this bind of trying to decide whether they can heat their home or pay for another necessity. On March 10th, Mayor Michelle Wu announced a new rent stabilization effort for the city of Boston. Currently, Boston has the third highest rents in the nation, behind only New York City and San Francisco. Keeping rents affordable for Boston residents was one of the key issues in Wu's mayoral campaign. Following through with this, she is forming a Rent Stabilization Advisory Committee to analyze the local rental market and to look at other cities' rent stabilization programs. The committee will make recommendations to the mayor and the mayor's Office of Housing on ways to stabilize rents and enable tenants to be able to afford to live in Boston. The committee will meet through 2022 and will have a proposal ready for the next legislative session. This is grounded in the fact that housing is a human right. And our policies need to reflect that. It is not a source of profit. It is not a source of just development. It is not a source of just wealth building. It is a human right. People have the right to a home and that they can afford, that they can pay for. And that's all we're asking for, is for, for us to 
put our creative hats together and to come up with the best solutions to do that. That's sustainable, that's economically prosperous. And right now, the way our state law is, there's an outright ban on that creativity. So this committee is coming together with all sorts of ways, looking at our zoning, looking at our um, deed restrictions, looking at how we uh, provide financial assistance to people, but also looking at state laws as well to help us make sure that we're stabilizing our rents uh, and as a result our economic future for the city of Boston. And a lot of people in Boston are very insecure right now. If you're a, a low-income tenant, a family in Boston, and you don't have a subsidy, like a Section 8 voucher, uh, your uh, you know, $14 an hour minimum wage job is not even going to go come close to paying. It, it would take, we just heard, it's going to take 30, $36 an hour to pay the rent for a two-bedroom apartment in Boston. Uh, so if people are making minimum wage, that's just way beyond, the, it's out of reach. And that's why there's displacement, that's why people are doubling and tripling up, that's why a lot of people are homeless uh, or houseless, uh, living in shelters um, or even the street. Uh, it's a real crisis. At City Life, the reason that we have for 50 years been fighting for people to be able to remain in their homes, for the, for the stabilization of community, because, you know, in our minds, you know, housing is a human right. And, and for that reason, um, you know, the importance of, you know, we've talked about the importance of having stable housing, the impact that it has on health, the impact that it has on children, um, and the impact that it has on people's um, prospects, what people think are possible for their future. Many years ago, the residents of Massachusetts, not Boston, made a decision that Boston's rent stabilization program should no longer exist. And for decades, many of you, because I've worked alongside of you, have worked hard to mitigate this decision by building more affordable housing and protecting many of our residents from displacement. Without your actions, and I thought about this long and hard this morning, housing issues would be worse and Boston would be a very different place. However, as Boston's housing costs continue to rise and displacements continue, it's time for us to acknowledge that rent stabilization is needed not just for our residents, but as the mayor mentioned as well, for our neighborhoods and our communities, which have been destabilized by, by real estate speculation.